0: Now, um, let's turn the corner a little bit uh, and jump into the message uh, for today. Um, Last year, it was last summer, actually, and I'm glad it was last summer and not this summer. But last summer for um, our 20-year anniversary, my wife Janice and I uh, went to Europe. Now, neither of us had been to Europe before, and so one of our goals um, when we went was just to go and relax and spend time together and celebrate 20 years of uh, being married. Um, but we also wanted to see some of the best sights, right? I mean, if you go to Europe, you want to see, and we had never been, so you want to see some of the greatest things. And we had two things in mind. Um, one, we wanted to see some really beautiful churches, because I'm a historian and Europe is known for its beautiful churches. And uh, we also wanted to see some amazing artwork while we were there. So if you have eight days (laughs) to see beautiful churches and beautiful artwork on a continent that is full of thousands of cities and villages and towns and museums and churches, how do you decide where to go and what to see? Um, You can't see it all, right? So you have to decide. So we picked a couple of places to focus most of our time, and one of those was Florence, Italy. Um, So this is actually a picture of us there on the Arno River or one of the famous bridges there in Florence. Uh, Florence was the birthplace of the Renaissance. And uh, while we were there, we ate lots of pasta, lots of pizza and lots of uh, gelato. Um, But we also uh, spent a lot of time seeing some of the most beautiful churches. I mean, just architectural marvels. Um, and some of the most beautiful artwork in the world. Um, and it was amazing. And at the same time, it was overwhelming because you, you just couldn't see it all. In fact, uh, we remember going through one um, gallery. It's called the Uffizi Gallery, and it's one of the most famous art galleries in the world. And uh, you walk through it, and there's these long corridors, and it's just room after room after room of paintings and sculptures by the greatest Renaissance artists. And it feels overwhelming by the end because it almost never ends, right? And even when you get to the end, you realize this is one collection of art in one museum in one city. And in our whole time there, we never had a chance to go to Rome, and we didn't visit Athens, or we didn't go to Istanbul. And we never got to go to the Louvre in Paris. And we didn't get to go to any of the other great museums in France or in the Netherlands. We didn't see any of the beautiful churches in Germany or Spain or England. There just wasn't enough time to see it all. And so we just had to do the best we could. And the best we could was to buy a whole bunch of guidebooks before we went and do as much research as we could and intentionally decide before we got there, how we could choose and use our time the most wisely and the best to experience the most beautiful things that we could see. And I share all of that because this need for choosing wisely is at the heart of a practice that we're going to discuss this week. We've been uh, talking about some intentional practices Um, daily and weekly practices that we want to incorporate into our lives. We've been reading this book together. It's by a guy named Justin Whitmull Early. It's called The Common Rule. And we've been looking at some daily practices, and now we're on weekly practices. And here's the second weekly practice that he suggests. And that's to curate media. To curate media. And the idea is that our lives are full of watching and experiencing media. Now, media is, is the content that you watch or that you consume. It's usually um, in the form of uh, entertainment, right? It's what you watch on TV. It's what you see at the movie theater when you can go back to the movie theater, right? It's what you look at on your phone most of the time. It's a lot of the things we look at on our computers, It also includes music we listen to or podcasts we listen to or the radio. Um, It could even include books or or magazines that we read. That's called print media. But what I want to focus on today is primarily what we watch on screens. And this is what Justin Early calls streaming stories, streaming stories stories. Now, there's all kinds of streaming stories. Um, There are little micro stories. Think about advertisements you see on TV that are 15 or 30 seconds long. But even those advertisements are telling a story about your life and about their product, right? Or think about Instagram. Now, Instagram has stories and you post a story and it's really short and it only lasts a day. But when you do that, you are telling other people some story about your life or something that you're experiencing. So there's little micro stories, but then there's much bigger macro stories, right? These are the, the epic narratives that we all love. These are the big movies, and sometimes they're not even one movie. It's a whole trilogy of movies that we see. Or it's maybe a Netflix series where, where there's a whole season of a bunch of episodes, and it's one storyline that carries through this season. And so there's little micro stories that are really short, and there's much longer macro stories. And then, of course, they're is everything in between. And these streaming stories are everywhere, right? The TV shows tell a story. Movies tell stories. Even apps, many of the apps we use are telling us stories. The news feeds and news programs are telling us stories about what's happening in our world. Advertisements tell stories. Even the billboards that are changing that we see on the roads, they're telling us stories. Our lives are saturated by these streaming stories. And these stories are forming us, whether we realize it or not. They're forming our values. Uh, They're forming our attitudes, right? Do you know how good my attitude is after I watch my favorite football team for three hours and then they win at the end? And do you know how poor my attitude is some Sunday mornings when I come in? And I watched my favorite football team the night before and they lost at the very end. These stories are, they're shaping our attitudes, they're shaping our beliefs, they're shaping our understanding of the world. They're actually forming us, which is why it's so important for us to curate the media in our lives, particularly the visual streaming media that tends to shape us the most. Now, let me um, unpack this word curate, um, because it might be a new word. Um, What does curate mean? I looked it up and there's a bunch of definitions. Uh, The first definition is to act as a curator, right? To act as a curator. Well, what does that mean? That means to take charge of a museum or organize an exhibit. That's where we usually think of the word curator. All museums have one curator, Or when there's an exhibit that's displayed, someone acts as the curator. And what that means is to pull together, sift through, and select for presentation. So to curate something means to pull a whole bunch of things together and then sift through all those things and then select the best things to present or to experience. So, uh, my son Townsend has gotten into photography and, uh, last summer we went to Banff, Canada for a few days and he took a whole bunch of pictures. So I asked him, what are a few of the best pictures or the ones that you liked the most that you took? And, uh, this is one, uh, we got up early one morning. This is a lake right near where we stayed and the sun was just coming up. Um, it's a cool picture with the dock there. Um, Here's another one. Uh, We saw lots of wildlife there. This is an elk, and um, he just loved the way the grass was so green, and this elk is just feeding. Um, And then, of course, uh, there's Lake Moraine in Banff, which is one of the most beautiful lakes in the world. And um, that blue color is natural. That has not been uh, changed at all. Now, uh, my son took thousands, hundreds, and then even thousands, I think a couple of thousand pictures on that trip over three days. And some of the photos didn't turn out so great, right? So when he picks his three favorite photographs or his 10 best or his 20 best to show you, he's basically acting as a curator. He is curating the select few photographs out of the many that he wants us to see. So, so, the important thing about curating is that you are making an intentional decision to sift through the many options and then choose the best, which always means cutting a whole out a whole lot of stuff that's not worth looking at anymore. And we need to do this we need to be curators of media in our own lives. And that's because most of us are overwhelmed with too much media. Uh, Did you know that the average American spends about 10 hours a day looking at just two things, a smartphone or a TV screen? And it's interesting. It's the same across all uh, age ranges. It stays about 10 hours a day. Now, interestingly, teenagers tend to look almost entirely at smartphones and don't look at a TV that much. And then if you're over 65, you watch a whole lot of TV and you don't look at your smartphone that much. And the graph sort of changes, but it ends up being about 10 hours, no matter how old you are spending time a day looking at a smartphone or a TV. And here's another interesting thing. 80% of Americans think that they are below average. 80% of Americans, when they hear this number, say, oh, well, I don't spend 10 hours a day. I'm a whole lot lower than that. And maybe that's what you thought when I just first shared that with you. But if you do the math, right, that doesn't actually work out. A lot of us think we don't spend very much time on our phones or on the TV. But in reality, we do. So how do we curate our own media? How do we think about what we watch and how we watch so many things on the screens that we have? I want to give you two phrases for you to remember today. Two phrases or two ways that you can begin to curate the media that you engage in your life. And here's the first, to curate the message. Curate the message. Meaning, ask yourself this question, what's the message that I'm receiving from the TV shows that I watch, from the games that I play, uh, video games, from the movies that I see, from the websites that I visit, from, from the media that I engage with? If most of the media that we watch and that we engage are streaming stories, what are the stories that I'm being told? What are the stories I'm being fed? What what are the stories that are forming me? And that's an important question to ask. Um, In the Psalms, uh, I've been reading the Psalms a lot lately, and I noticed that there's an idea that pops up in a lot of the Psalms from the Old Testament. And the idea is to focus or think about what you're looking at or what you're watching or what you're focusing your eyes on. And in the Psalms, it's usually described in a positive sense that we should look for God. We should watch for him. We should look for how he's working in our life. We should look for how he's working in this world. We should look at the beautiful creation that he has made. We should look to his word. But from time to time, there's an important statement in the Psalms about what we are not to look at or what we should not watch. Psalm one three says, I will not look with approval on anything that is vile. And the Hebrew word there for anything that is vile could be anything that is useless, anything that is unhealthy for me, anything that could hurt me, anything that could malform me. Malform means form me in a direction that's opposite of the one I want to be formed in. Anything that's going to tell me a story that's not true or that's not good for me. And then in Psalm 119, here's a prayer. The prayer is, turn my eyes away from worthless things. Instead, preserve my life according to your word. And the question that I've been asking this past week and that I want to challenge you to ask now is, what are the worthless things that we're watching? What are the worthless things that we're giving our eyes and our attention to? Let me give you a few examples. And um, this is where the rubber meets the road. So uh, I'll start with myself. Um, A show that I used to watch a lot of, a TV show on TV, um, is Survivor. Anybody fans of Survivor? Just a few. All right. Survivor. I just I looked it up. It's in season 40 right now. That's amazing. It was one of the first reality TV shows to come out Um, and I don't watch Survivor hardly any anymore. I haven't watched it in several years partly because it's gotten old and it's kind of boring and it's just not that good or creative anymore. It's the same old thing but I also realized several years ago as I was watching Survivor I realized this show is almost entirely about backstabbing other people right It's about using other people to get what you want. And most reality competition shows are like this. And and yes, as I'm watching it, I know it's for fun. And I know it's not really real life because these people are on this island in the South Pacific for just three weeks. And and I know all that. And yet, what's the story I'm being told every time I watch this? I'm being told that other people are pawns for me to use to get ahead, right? Right. Here's another one. What about revenge movies? Think about how many films we watch where the main character is wronged in some horrible way in the beginning and then the rest of the movie is about them exacting revenge, getting back, getting even with the people that hurt them. Now just pause for a second because these are some of our favorite movies, right? But how does that story shape me if that's the story i'm watching over and over and over and think about it it's a very different it's almost the opposite of the story that we read in scripture which is a story not of revenge but of forgiveness uh what about violence how many of the games we play are first person shooter games Or think about the sports that we often watch. How about MMA or ultimate fighting, right? What's the streaming story that this is telling me when I'm watching one guy beat another guy up as much as possible, right? And how will that form me when that's entertainment? I've got one more. Um, I have a bunch of friends who uh, watch The Bachelor, And I know some of you do. I won't ask for your hands because we'll see hands go up over all over Zoom, right? Um, And I give my friends who watch The Bachelor a hard time, not just because it's old and it's bad and it's uncreative, just like Survivor is, I'll admit that, right? But because the story it tells, just like Survivor is probably, in the words of the Psalms, somewhat vile and worthless, I mean, think about it. The story that it tells is that love is almost entirely about romance and sexual attraction and fun dates to exotic places that none of us are ever going to go. And you're going with a whole bunch of women or men, if you're the bachelorette, you're going with all of them at once and you're hooking up with all of them. And then you're doing all this so that you can handpick your favorite, right? And we all know how cheesy it is and it's entertainment and it's all harmless. We all know that, right? But it's not. It's a story about love that is entirely contrary to the story that we read about in the Bible. Read First Corinthians 13 and what the Apostle Paul says about love. And it's totally different. But which story is shaping us the most? It's the bachelor story. That's the story that's shaping our view of love. That's the one that we give a whole lot more attention and focus and our eyes to. Now, this practice of curating our media, it's not just about don't watch this and don't watch that because it's all evil, right? And it's going to corrupt your mind and your soul. Um, When I was a kid, and my parents can vouch for this. They're even on the Zoom call this morning. When I was a kid, I loved heavy metal music when it first came out in the 80s. Um, I had posters of Ozzy Osbourne and Metallica and Megadeth on my walls, and people started telling me it was so bad for me, especially people at church, and that I shouldn't listen to any of it, and the more people told me not to listen to it, the more I wanted to listen to it, right? So I get it. If there's a part of you that right now wants to kind of push back and say, hey, if I want to watch The Bachelor or I want to watch you know, MMA or whatever, if I want to watch those things, I should be able to watch those. I get that. I know that feeling. I just want you to think about how many better things we could be watching, how many good things we could be giving our time and attention to. There is media that is deeply creative, deeply beautiful, deeply challenging, sometimes deeply tragic and deeply hopeful at the same time, and deeply good. For our souls, But when we have limited time, shouldn't we give our eyes and our attention to those things that are telling the stories that are good and the stories that are meaningful and the stories that are true, stories that actually resonate with who we are and move us toward the values and the virtues that we want to believe and that we want to embody and that we want to shape us? Here's how the Apostle Paul challenges us. He says this, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Or the word he uses there could be simply give your attention to such things. Focus on these things. There is art that's true and noble and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Give your attention to that kind of art. There are movies, there are shows, there's media with all of the options available. I think Paul would say, why would you give your time and attention to stuff that is worthless or stuff that is actually telling you a story that you don't really want to believe in? It would be like Janice and I going to Europe last summer and spending all of our time in a Hobby Lobby while we're in Europe. I don't think they actually have Hobby Lobbies in Europe, but let's just pretend they do. And let's pretend that we go there and we spend all of our time inside Hobby Lobby, looking at all of the cheesy prints on the wall and trying to decide which one we want to buy to take back home with us. Oh, and we're drinking Folgers coffee while we're there, right? And you would look at us and you would say, Why in the world would you waste your time doing that when you could go to all these French cafes and have cappuccinos and you could go to these museums and see the most beautiful artwork in the world, right? We have to approach media like we are curators, like we are selecting the best. We only have so much time and we can't see it all. And some of it is actually pretty worthless and pretty bad. So let's just focus on what's good and what will help us and the kind of stories that will be the most meaningful to us. That's what curate the message means. Now, um, in his book, uh, Justin Early, um, I hope you got it and you're reading along with us. um, He gives some great suggestions for how to curate good movies, good TV shows, other content that we engage online. He gives some great suggestions for how to choose stories that are good and beautiful and compelling. And so I want to encourage you to go and look at those specific recommendations that he makes. But I want to offer one other big idea for us today before we wrap up, because it's not just about the content of the media we consume. Yes, we need to curate the message, but we also need to curate the medium curate the medium. Uh, The medium is the way that the content is delivered to you. In fact, that's where we get the word media. (laughs) Media is just the plural of medium, right? And so medium, uh, the mediums that we most often use are television screens, um, the movie screen, not so much lately, but sometimes uh, our smartphones, our tablets, our computer screens. That's where we get most of the media that we consume today. Now, think about this for a second. Before the 1950s, none of these things existed. Only the movie screen existed at that time. And so, do you know how most people experienced entertainment before the 1950s? Well, they listened to a radio together at night, right? Or they actually participated in something live, If you wanted to watch sports at that time, you actually went to the ballpark to watch a game. Or you went down to your local high school gym to watch a basketball game. There wasn't a screen to watch it on. You went to local plays. You went to musicals that were put on by groups of kids, right? Or a lot of families owned pianos. And instead of listening to songs, they would gather around the piano and they would sing songs together. Or if you wanted to see artwork, you probably had to go see it in person. Now there were books during that time, so you could look at some artwork in books. But but the way that most people engage art would be to actually see it in person. And the way that people engaged epic stories, or, or even the week to week episode, you know, cliffhanger stories that we watch now, the way most people engaged those was through books or magazines and newspapers that would actually print a different chapter each week to keep you coming back to keep reading. Now, I'm not trying to romanticize that time period at all. That, the 1950s was not necessarily better. Um, it's just that technology has changed. And so the way that we are entertained and the way we consume media has changed. And the implications of technological advances um, always have both positives and negatives. The positives are Obviously, we live in a time, I mean, gosh, we could talk about medicine and healthcare, and we're really glad that there's great technological advances there. And even in media, there's some really positive. I mean, how many people can look at great art now um, because it can be mass disseminated over our screens? Um, How many people can stay connected to other people who live in other cities and towns? We could have never had church on Zoom like we're having right now. In the 1950s, we would have just shut down for several months. How many imaginative worlds can be created through CGI in movies? How many college football games can I watch on Saturday now from the comfort of my couch, right? But here's one implication that we don't often perceive. Most current screen mediums are passive meaning they're not participatory. So it's easy to sit on your couch by yourself and watch interesting shows on TV all day long without actually doing anything or even participating in anything. And in fact, there's now this quality of stimulation that happens through the flickering pixels of a screen and it's gotten faster and there's so much more movement and there's so much more stimulation now that it almost lulls us into a trance like state so much so that we even celebrate it now. Right. I just binged the whole third season of stranger things yesterday. Right. And maybe I binged it because it was a good show, but maybe I just binged it because it was easy. And it sort of just lulled me into laying on the couch and it didn't require me to do anything whatsoever. Or maybe on a Sunday, you go to church for an hour when we're doing it live in person. You get up and you go to church for an hour and then you come home and it's easy to just sit and watch the NFL for four hours or for eight hours for the rest of the day. And let's be honest, sitting on your couch watching the NFL, it's a whole lot easier and probably a little bit more entertaining than getting up and going to church, and talking to people. And we don't realize it, but it's so easy to become one of those average Americans who's watching 10 hours of TV or screens a day. And then we lament, where does all the time go? Why am I so tired at the end of the day? And it's not the good kind of tired when you've been doing like physical work. It's the lethargic, lazy kind of tired. And why is my real life not as exciting and fast-paced as all this stuff happening and that's coming to me on the screen, right? And so the challenge for us is not just curating the message, but it's curating the medium, which means doing a few things. Asking the question, how and how much am I consuming media through these different mediums. And so for some of us, that's a time issue. How much time am I spending watching TV or on these kind of screens or on this specific medium that is mostly passive in nature? And so what Justin Hurley recommends, or Early recommends doing is every single week, um, uh, and maybe starting with this week, if you've never done this, starting by doing a time audit. Asking yourself, how much are you actually, and measuring, how much are you actually watching and consuming media for a whole week? And and that's not easy to do. It takes some intentionality to figure that out. But it's important because you're probably, and I'm probably watching and consuming a whole lot more than we think we are. And then he says, once you've done a time audit, then figure out how to set a limit for how much you want to watch, how much you should be watching. And only you can determine what that number is, right? Is it 15 hours a week? 15 hours a week that I want to watch media? Is it, is it 10 hours a week? Is it eight? Uh, Justin Early has set it at four hours a week for himself. And he set it there because he has a job that he loves. He has a family, has four kids he wants to spend time with. He has friends that he wants to hang out with. He has a a church community he wants to be engaged in. There's so many more things in his life that he feels like would be so much more meaningful to do than to watch reruns of The Office for the fourth time. And by setting his limit at four hours a week, it ensures he's going to be super discerning and intentional about only watching the best TV shows or the best films or engaging the best media that there is. Now, four hours might seem impossible for you. It might feel really low, but I just want to encourage you to set some goal, a healthy goal that'll probably be somewhat lower than what you're already doing. And one way you can achieve that goal would be to start engaging in more participatory activities, play more sports instead of watching them, Right. Go to art museums. Go to history museums. Go to plays. Go to musicals. Go to performances. Go to concerts. Right. Consider more participatory engagements of media. Now, that's really hard right now, <laughs> because all the museums and all the, all the things where you could participate are closed. And in fact, I'm guessing. For the last two months, if you're like me, most of us have probably engaged in more non-participatory media, particularly on our screens, at home, than we ever have before. And so this message today might feel particularly hard. It might feel particularly challenging. But I think now is the best time to ask questions about the media that we're consuming, to think more deeply about the streaming stories that are forming us, whether we realize it or not. And now is the time to become curators of our own media. So let me pray for us as we take on this challenge this week. Um, God, um, I do pray that you would help us to manage our time well. Um, Give us the desire Um, to not only measure how much time we're spending doing some of these things, but then to set some limits and to recognize that the limits will actually bring more freedom into our lives. They won't constrain us, um, help us to uh, encourage one another as a community to do this, um, help us to hold one another accountable, um, And help us as we take these steps in engaging this practice. God, we know it's not going to pay off immediately, but I pray that you would show us the ways that it frees us up um, to engage you more, to be present with people around us, um, to engage the best media. Um, God, I just pray that um, that you would affirm our desires to engage this practice in our lives. I pray all this in your name. Amen. Um, Well, that's it for today in terms of uh, worship. Um, I want to highlight just a couple of announcements um, and then we'll wrap up. Uh, The first announcement, um, let me find those on the screen. Uh, The first announcement is um, that we actually have a wilderness. We have two wilderness retreats coming up in June. Um, we haven't said much about these because we didn't know if we would end up canceling them or not, but we're going to keep doing them uh, because they're outside in the wilderness. And um, and we've got two of them that are happening. One is in a couple of weeks in uh, mid-June and one is near the end of June. There's a beginner one and, a, and an advanced one. Um, about half the spots are full. These are small groups of about 10 people, so it'll be a small group. And uh, they're basically backpacking trips in the mountains of Colorado, um, but with some intentionality uh, towards them so that when we go to, to the mountains, it's a way of retreating and getting away, spending some really intentional time with a few other people and with God uh, while we're there. So there's information on our website about that. Um, as I said, there's a few spots left. If you'd like to sign up for one, go on our website, at newdenver.org. 2020 experiences. Um, we put about, together a bunch of experiences at the beginning of the year. So that's where you'll find information about that. And you can sign up for one of those there. Do that soon if you're interested um, so that we can know and plan ahead. And if you have questions about that, we're going to be careful with some social distancing and, and, and change a few things, um, tweak a few things on the trips to, to be extra cautious. So if you have any questions about that, uh, feel free to let us know. Um, I think that's it uh, in terms of stuff that's happening. We'll keep you posted on in-person gatherings. Um, But I did want to take a minute here at the end of the service. Um, Tom and Laura, I think you guys are on. Oh, there's your picture. Uh, Tom Curcio, Laura has been involved um, for a few years. Tom Curcio, you've been involved for, I don't know how long, seven years now at New Denver, six years, something like that. Um, These guys are moving uh, to Texas, Um, and we're super sad about that. I know that happened quickly. Um, Laura, your folks live in Texas and so you're moving down there to pursue some new opportunities and to be closer, uh, to your parents. Um, so we just wanted to, uh, pray for you guys as you leave today. We're sad to see you go, but we want to pray, um, our blessings on you. And, um, Tom, I'd love to just hear in all the years you've been involved. I mean, you have done so much, um, serving at New Denver, um, really overseeing our entire Guatemala partnership program for the last several years. Um, But I've also seen your faith grow in some really cool ways. And I just love to ask you, before you guys leave, uh, what has NDC meant to you as you've been here um, and part of the community?
1: Well, um, it's hard to put it to words. the amount of gratitude uh, that I have for being a part of this community and sharing uh, in relationship with so many people, especially to, uh, um, on all the trips to Guatemala, those are memories that I will cherish for the rest of my life. And, uh, uh, and, and the experience of um, working with the people in Guatemala has been such a, a rich part of of me and become it changed the direction of my life. And, uh, and Laura's joined in now. And so, uh, the work that we're doing down there will continue, um, uh, through, through chocolate and and through a relationship with Antonio as well. We're going to maintain our relationship with Antonio. Um, and, and one thing came to mind is that I, I know the mission of New Denver Church is to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. And in my life, that mission's accomplished. So I'm just uh, forever grateful um, uh, to uh, share in this community, to grow in faith, and to uh, uh, just have a much closer relationship with everyone at New Denver Church. Uh, I will miss all of you. This is a bittersweet moment. Um, We're excited, but we're sad. Um, We're going to give up a lot of, uh, we're going to take on some heat and give up the snow. So we're trying to balance that all out. But uh, anyhow, um, I just, a sincere thanks to everyone, a sincere uh, gratitude uh, toward the entire uh, community. And um, we, through technology, we want to use this medium to to stay in touch with as many as we can. And uh, so just a a heartfelt thank you.
0: Yeah. And you were telling me um, flights are a little cheaper to Guatemala from Texas. So maybe we'll just keep reconnecting down in Guatemala together. That would be man. I
1: think that would be ideal. (laughs) I appreciate that. (laughs) And
0: and Tom, um, I mean, 10 years ago, you didn't even really know Jesus. Um, No. And uh, just, I mean, as you mentioned our mission, maybe just say a word about that. How has... New Denver been a place that's really um, helped you know and understand who God is more.
1: I think uh, what I feel is it's created a space to where I could hear, I could hear the word of, of Jesus. I could hear, um, uh, hear God in my life, all of a sudden it just opened doors and, um, and the, the warmth of the community, uh, that just was channeling the spirit of, of the Holy Spirit. It was just something that it, it's hard to explain it in words. It just, um, it, it gets me all kind of emotional <laughs> and, uh, to, to think about, um, the impact in my life and just how it's changed. And, uh, uh gratitude is just gushing from my heart all the time. And, um, and the Lord has just opened up this, this whole situation that's happened to us in such a way that just, it just, um, it's, it's divine intervention. Everything is just worked out in a way that I couldn't even have imagined. So, um, uh, you know, as I said, um, we are very excited to go sad, sad at the same time, but God's got a plan. I'm not exactly sure how it's all going to turn out, but, uh, we're trusting him.
0: Yeah. Well, you guys are awesome. Um, Laura, as you've gotten involved in Tom's life in the last several years, you've been also participating at New Denver and been involved in groups and gone on trips. And it's just been so fun to have both of you guys um, as a part of the community. So if I can just take a moment, sorry, say that again.
1: Oh, I just said, it's been wonderful being a part of the community and feeling a lot of comfort and peace.
0: Yeah. Well, if I can just, um, As I sort of say a blessing for all of us as we go into our weeks, I just want to pray a special prayer of blessing uh, for you guys. So if everybody would just kind of join me um, in in sort of lifting up this prayer for them as they move. Um, God, I pray uh, for Tom and for Laura. Um, We pray for their uh, journey to Texas this week. (laughs) Um, We pray for all the details. I know they're still working on uh, where to live and job. Tom has a new job down there, which is awesome. You've provided. um, I pray that they find, uh, um, they just find a sense of home uh, there, um, especially as they're able to help take care of Laura's parents a little more. Um, And God, I pray that you would just continue to affirm this decision and this direction in their lives. Um, I pray for uh, their Um, Desire to continue blessing the people of Guatemala and Pastor Antonio and the school um, through the nonprofit that they started and the work they're doing down there. And um, Lord, we just thank you for the opportunities. And I I can't imagine uh, the celebrating that we'll be doing into eternity um, for all the ways that you've used our church and their lives. And there's just been an intersection there that we can't really explain, except that it's all by your Holy Spirit. Um, And so God, as they go uh, this week, um, we pray this blessing on them. And as we go into our weeks and wherever you're leading us, I pray that you, the Lord, would bless all of us and keep us. Um, May you, the Lord, smile upon us and show us mercy. May you, the Lord, look upon us kindly and give us your peace. We pray all of this
1: in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.